1: fresh episode of fish bites it is eli sussman here the managing editor of fish stripes hosting a podcast for one of the few times all year uh you probably didn't hear a lot of my voice during this 2020 just concluded miami marlin season um extremely successful season making it to the postseason for the first time in 17 years and winning a series once they got there all the great individual stories that came out of that and what it means for the outlook of the franchise moving forward very exciting I mean I've been on top of it but I just haven't been doing a whole lot of the audio portion of it busy running all of the articles we have on fishtripes.com the video editing that we do the social media presence I have my fingers in all that, and it took a lot of time. As you noticed, I shifted a lot of the podcasting responsibilities to our Marlins barbecue duo of Red Garcia and Alex Contreras. They're going to be continuing with their podcasting throughout this exciting 2020, 2021 offseason coming up. And I don't want to make excuses for myself, you know, just busy with a lot of other things. And the fact that I'm not great at multitasking, so when I'm watching every play of every game, and I'm pretty sure I did, I, I, I went 60 for 60 at least tuning into games, which is sometimes very hard to do over a full-length season. So in that way, the shortened season was somewhat of a blessing that you're more intimately following every pitch than ever before because there was extra pressure on every single moment of the season And I'm just not great at multitasking, like even if it was some of those ugly blowouts. And, you know, we did have a handful of ugly blowouts this season as reflected in the team's run differential. All the experts will tell you the Marlins aren't any good because of that lopsided run differential. But uh, you know what I mean? No matter what was going on in the game, uh, I'm just not great at the uh, recording while I'm watching. And now I finally have the time to uh, get back to the recording. So hopefully about a new podcast episode from me every single week both myself individually but also a whole lot of guests coming up that i think you guys will be really engaged with this is going to be a solo episode and i'm going to try to do better with them than i did last off season if you remember when i started doing a lot of podcasting uh one off season ago some of those episodes ran like 55 to minutes an hour sometimes i went over an hour just talking with myself about a terrible marlins team and even though the team is now more exciting now I want to be a little bit more condensed and concise with my analysis about the team. And we're starting with a topic that I think everybody loves, which is predicting what the team is going to look like at the start of next season. And if you've been following the Marlins over these last couple of years under new ownership, they're so unpredictable with their transactions and with the timing of their transactions. So I'm not here trying to guarantee any correct answers with this, but from following everything that's going on, from reading, Everything that the key members of the organization have said and also reading between the lines of what they've said and what they have not said, I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what that opening day 2020-21 lineup is going to look like. So that's what this episode is going to be about, going through my picks at the moment as of, what are we, in the second week of October, about five and a half months away from the actual opening day, this is my way too early prediction about what that opening day lineup is going to look like on April 1st, 2021, at Marlins Park against the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, as things are going right now, Tampa Bay, if they're not going to be the reigning World Series champions, they're going to be pretty close. They're in in a great position as things go right now. It'll be a tough opponent. And I'm going to be making this prediction with the assumption that they're going to be using some right-handed pitcher to start the game. With the Rays, they're even more unpredictable. You don't know how exactly they're going to stack up all those talented arms that they have. If I'm under the impression right now, my guess would be that Tyler Glass now gets that opening day assignment and makes the start. So my prediction is going to be assuming with a right-hander on the mound that the Marlins are facing. For a very quick review, we look back at opening day 2020. Uh, July 24th, uh, a game that you guys probably remember the team won very convincingly against the Phillies. So just a review of where we've come from. To start the 2020 season, this was the opening day lineup. In center field, leading off Jonathan VR batting second at first base, Jesus Aguilar. Batting third, playing left field, was Corey Dickerson. In the cleanup spot, in right field, was my guy Harold Ramirez. In the fifth spot, at third base, Brian Anderson batting 6th, designated hitter Garrett Cooper, batting 7th, second baseman Isan Diaz, batting 8th, starting catcher Francisco Cervelli, and batting ninth was shortstop Miguel Rojas, starting pitcher Sandy Alcantara. As you guys probably remember very vividly, Sandy was dealing in that game an excellent performance. And uh, Aguilar hit a home run, I believe, in that game as well. The team won that game. This is one of those strange situations where we can guarantee, we can guarantee that the opening day lineup next year is going to be different than this past year, and that's because Francisco Cervelli has retired. He retired uh, a couple weeks ago, right after the end of the regular season, uh, citing putting his health above all his other priorities, someone that unfortunately suffered repeated concussions as a catcher and uh, unfortunately his career was cut short a little bit even at 34 years old he was performing so well when he was actually healthy and also of course during the 2020 season the Marlins traded Jonathan VR uh, to Toronto during the year and now he's going to be a free agent at the time that The Marlins, I would guess, are extremely, extremely unlikely to resign him, but you never know. He'll, he'll be available at a good value, so it's possible. In either case, with Cervelli retiring, there's going to have to be some change to this lineup from one year to the next. And again, just to fast forward, to put this in full context, this is where they were on the final game of the 2020 season. Game three of the National League Division Series against the Braves. This lineup was the one that was shut out and lost heading into the offseason on a sour note. It had a lot of similarities to opening day. Uh, Leadoff man in right field, John Birdie. Batting second, left fielder Corey Dickerson. Batting third was Aguilar playing first base. Cleanup was Brian Anderson at third base. Batting fifth was Cooper, the designated hitter. Jazz Chisholm was a starting second baseman and batting sixth in the lineup. Then it was Miguel Rojas. Bagneris Sierra was in the eighth spot in center field. Chad Wallach, the starting catcher batting ninth, and finally Sixto Sanchez started that game on the mound. I mean, once again, you can't in this case, you can't totally guarantee that the lineup is going to be different. Uh, for opening day 2021, but I think it's highly likely with some of those players being shifted into different roles and maybe some that get traded altogether. So without further ado, we go to my 2021 opening day lineup prediction, a way too early prediction. I reserve the right to update this prediction as we get closer to the real thing. First, we'll get out of the way the starting pitcher, which to me is a pretty easy, pretty obvious choice. I wouldn't say it's an easy choice if I was in the position of actually making the decision, but I believe it's pretty clear that if Sandy Alcantara is healthy in April of 2021, that he's going to be on the mound for opening day. I'm someone that has always been relatively low on Sandy Uh, at the time they traded for him, at the time of his debut, uh, even at the time when he was named an all-star midway through the 2019 season. uh, There was a lot of concerns to me about his consistency, and he has totally flipped that switch, I guess, starting in August of 2019. Uh, making about 15 or 16 starts combined between the end of that year and then in the shortened 2020 season. And consistency has been the key for him. I mean, it's been really incredible how he has limited his walks. Uh, he didn't issue more than three walks in any game during this past season. And also the length that he is providing. He's a guy that you were had very real concerns about his control and his pitch efficiency. And he's put those concerns to bed with how he performed at the end of 2019, and then in this past 2020 season. One, two. Oh, and he got him. It was out there for Acuna at 98, but he could not connect. Big strikeout from Alcántara to leave two stranded. ERA uh, of three, even during this past year, and during down the stretch, those last couple of months of 2019, an ERA in the high twos that if he's going to keep the ball in the ballpark and he's going to throw strikes, the way his pitches move, he's going to avoid the barrel of the bat, he's going to generate so many ground balls and he's going to be a really effective pitcher and even more so than that, you know, you've been able to see the kind of the way that his teammates feel about him, the way that his manager feels about him and how he's grown into a more mature, a more confident player over these past couple of years and for that reason He has distinguished himself as one of the leaders of the team, and the way that he's been performing so consistently, they're going to give him that assignment once again. He was the opening day starter in 2020, and my prediction at this point is that he's probably going to be the guy uh, for 2021, even though I I feel very strongly about Pablo, Pablo Lopez, uh, even before Pablo had the results that met up with his uh, pure ability and his potential. I believed in him, and he really showed out last year. Sixto Sanchez, I still think the world of him and his potential. But we're just focusing on the first game of the season, and Sandy, I expect to be on the mound for that. So now going through the lineup, one through nine, in the leadoff spot for the Marlins next year, I expect to be center fielder Starling Marte. With all these players, uh, I don't want to drown too many numbers into the podcast. So I'll just stick with some very simple stats. And I'm going to tie the 2019 and 2020 seasons together. Because I know the most recent season is always fresh on our mind. And it's always a key factor when trying to project what's going to happen next year. But being such a shortened season, and given some of the really outlier performances we saw last year, I think the responsible thing to do is to refer to combined stats over the 2019 and 2020 seasons when discussing these players, and uh, I imagine the Marlins themselves will tell you that that's going to be a pretty big factor going into this. They're going to be combining a larger sample size to get a more realistic feel for these players. So over the last two seasons, Starling Marte combined between the, this is combined actually between three teams, between the Pirates, the Diamondbacks, and the Marlins. 291 batting average, 342 on base, 481 slugging, a 116 weighted runs created plus. So with weighted runs created plus, 100 is the league average, adjusted for the league you're playing in, the ballparks you're playing in, and relative to that, 16% better than the league average with his bat alone, and 35 stolen bases, dating back to the start of the 2019 season. Starling uh, was the key acquisition they got at the trade deadline this past year. He is under contract for 2021. They'll have to pick up that club option for him, pay him $12.5 million dollars which will make him the highest paid hitter on the team ever since this rebuild started. I mean, right when new ownership came in, they traded away uh, the most expensive hitters on the payroll. You guys remember that. And Marte isn't quite in Giancarlo Stanton territory, but he's a pretty big investment that the team is making. They're making that investment because he has a long Major League track record, a very good Major League track record, and he helps the offense in a lot of ways in addition to playing one of the most important defensive positions on the field, being in center field. That was such a huge question for the Marlins entering 2020. And health permitting, you know, Starling did finish the year with a fractured left pinky. But he has plenty of time for that to heal. And I expect him to be at the top of the lineup to start next year. A guy that I was really excited for them to acquire. And the early returns for him were very positive. Just had that ill-timed injury.
0: And Marte. Puts a charge into one to
1: right. Harper's back. Goodbye. Home run. Starling Marte to the opposite field. Yes, he's got that kind of power the other way. It might have been the only question I had about Starling Marte's game, and we saw it earlier this series with a long double, bases clearing double, game-tying double off the wall. Let's take another look at how much power he's got. My goodness. Batting seconds in my predicted lineup, second baseman Jazz Chisholm. His stats last year were pretty ugly during the major league season. That goes with most of the rookies that we saw debut for the Marlins. For Jazz, he batted 161, a 242 on base percentage, a 321 slugging, a 56 weighted runs created plus, who was striking out uh, 30% of the time. He did finish the year on on a pretty encouraging note. The final game of the regular season against the Yankees, he had his best overall game On both sides of the ball, Uh, he nearly homered his first time up at the plate, and then he actually did homer to right center his next time up. Played great defense, uh, uh, really for most of the time that he was up this year, and that especially stands out because he spent almost all of that call up at second base, which was somewhat of a foreign position for him. Uh, Developed most of his minor league career as a shortstop, and the only reason why I don't have him playing, spoiler alert, I have Miguel Rojas in the lineup as shortstop here coming up, And that's the reason why Jazz, I believe, at least for the start of next year, will be adopting this new position on the right side of the infield at second base. Even with the performance, there was some encouraging things to go along with it. He was the victim of some bad luck, a 200 batting average on balls in play. The league average is pretty close to 300 for everybody else. And for someone that hits the ball as hard as he does, someone who runs as well as Jazz does, that number is going to come way up as he gets a larger sample size under his belt. He's, he's an electric player. The Marlins did make a big investment in order to acquire him from the Diamondbacks, trading away Zach Allen. They're going to give him every chance to succeed. At this time last year, we were talking about Isan Diaz being that homegrown second baseman of the future. Uh, Isan also struggled in his debut as a rookie in 2019, but the tools aren't quite the same as what Jazz has. I think what already stands out for both guys who, as I said, have have really not accomplished much of anything in the major leagues at this point, is that Jazz has all the same raw power, but he adds so much more as a defender and as a base runner that Isan doesn't. So those guys, I would expect to both get their fair shot to compete in spring training, I just think Jazz is going to win that competition and that he's going to have the path maybe not to play every single day to start the 2021 season, but he's going to be playing a lot and especially against right-handed pitching. Uh, So I expect him to be on the field, and I also expect him to be high up in the lineup despite the lack of track record just because of the tools that he has. And one thing that stuck out to me is that Looking at the top of the lineup, one thing that I know Don Mattingly puts a big emphasis on is working deep counts and working quality counts. Despite the pretty lousy results that Jazz had in the major leagues, during the 2020 season, he was averaging 4.24 pitches per plate appearance. A big number. Now, now, to be fair, that number is always going to be relatively high if you're striking out a lot, because it does take a lot of pitches to strike out, but what Jazz did is he he did have a pretty patient approach. He only swung the first pitch about a quarter of the time, and he, uh, despite the strikeouts, he didn't really have this alarming issue of swinging and missing. I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty high on him. I think the Marlins are high on him, and they're going to give him an opportunity to get a whole lot of plate appearances from the very start of the season. So number three in my predicted lineup for opening day, designated hitter Jesus Aguilar. Uh, arguably one of the most valuable players on the whole team, uh, mainly because of his availability. He was only one of a few players that actually stuck on the active roster for the entire season, survived the COVID outbreak, and he was pretty consistently great, especially at the start of the year. He was a big run producer, and he really heated up again towards the end of the year as well. He was just a really great find for this team as a waiver claim. I mean, for all the intelligence that the Tampa Bay Rays had, they just basically let this guy go. He's going to be arbitration eligible again in 2021. He's going to get a significant raise. So this is where uh, I, I guess there's some uncertainty. This is where I could be looking pretty silly having Aguilar in my projected lineup because I'm not entirely sure that he's going to be here. Uh, he's going to be earning a pretty significant raise. I would guess somewhere in the $5 million range is how much his salary is going to be next year for a guy that... Uh, Did play every single day this past season. He doesn't necessarily have a big track record of being an everyday player, though, even when he's been successful with his previous teams. And uh, there's only so many players that the Marlins are going to put on their roster that are first-base, DH-only type of players. They love that defensive versatility. That's been a pretty common uh, reframe from all the decision-makers with them. I, I could see a scenario where they do sell high on Aguilar coming off this year in order to address other needs on the team, open up opportunities for other guys uh, for the time being though. I think that is the safest bet. And uh, even though he is due a raise, he's a lot more efficient than some of these other veteran players available in free agency. And I think ultimately the Marlins are going to stick with the guy who was so consistent for them and very important to their clubhouse culture as well. In just one season with the team, he made an incredible impression as as a as a guy, in terms of dealing with his teammates, dealing with the media, keeping morale very high, and uh, bringing <laughs> bringing just a great infectious personality to this team, uh, if if it's, I, I expect ultimately that they're going to decide to keep him in batting fourth in my predicted lineup, right behind Aguilar, Garrett Cooper starting at first base. That it was one of the head scratching. I guess it went somewhat under the under the radar. I may have been one of the only people paying attention to this, is how frequently Don Mattingly flip-flopped Aguilar and Cooper between DH and first base. There didn't seem to be much rhyme or reason for it. I believe there was no point during the season when both were healthy that one of them actually played first base more than two or three consecutive games. It was constantly switching back and forth every single series or even in the middle of series that they were switching between DH and first base. Statistically, I mean, Garrett Cooper appears to be the superior defensive player of them, aside from being taller, uh, a little bit rangier, and he does statistically have a very good ability of scooping balls in the dirt. I mean, aside from just reaching balls that are high above his head, uh, he's he offers a big catch radius if, if to use a a football term a big catch radius at first base in order to convert those outs on ground balls so I would expect that he's going to be playing more first base than Aguilar uh, going forward that's just a guess and Cooper oh statistically I I need to get caught up on the stats from Aguilar over the past two seasons really quick Aguilar. Hit 251 with a 335 on base, a 414 slugging, and a league average 100 weighted runs created plus since the start of 2019. With Garrett Cooper, he's been even better than that. Cooper, since the start of the 2019 season, a 281 batting average, 347 on base, 459 slugging. That's a 116 WRC plus, exactly the same as Starling Marte, a little bit less. Slugging than Marte, but even more raw power. If you've seen any considerable amount of Garrett Cooper plate appearances, you know he's got huge pop. He had some of the longest home runs by any Marlins player over these past couple of seasons, and he had one of the most important home runs really, several of the most important home runs for the team this year that home run to lead off the, the postseason clincher against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium to put them ahead uh, and ultimately made the difference in that game, uh, the home run at Wrigley Field. I guess that was game must've been game 2 of the wild card series. That's the one that also made most of most of the difference in that clinching game for that series. He's he's not afraid of the moment. He's someone that has always been fueled by some of the the skepticism about him, the fact that he is a late bloomer more or less. He's about to turn 30 years old. He's going to be 30 years old during this upcoming year. He's almost as old as Aguilar is so in the fact that he's had a lot of unlucky injuries uh, including most recently having catching covid i mean that was pretty tough luck on him to take away a good chunk of his 2020 season uh, because of that virus and how it spread through the clubhouse he's but when he is on the field and when he is available to play he is simply a great hitter and his peripheral stats back that up His exit velocity, his peak exit velocity is the highest on the team. When he really gets into the ball, he hits it in a way that few other hitters in the entire league can hit. You simply can't teach that. You you can work out as much as you like, but there's um, some sort of natural gift that goes into being able to simply crush the ball in such a way that it will get out of any ballpark, and he can do it to all fields. So he's another guy like Aguilar because of some some of his defensive limitations, it was pretty telling that the Marlins didn't use him in the outfield at any point during the 2020 season. That uh, maybe they are worried about his injury risk out there. That if he doesn't bring that defensive versatility, then I'm not sure the Marlins are going to value him quite as much as you would think on the surface. And there are other needs for the team to reach, but he simply has some qualities that are hard that I mentioned that are hard to teach that even if their highly regarded prospects really pan out, um, they might not be able to fully replace Cooper either. So when you have a a good thing that Cooper already brings to the table and you have team control over him for not just 2021, but several years after that, I see no urgency to move him right now. He's going to hold down the heart of this lineup. Batting fifth, I predict that Brian Anderson will be starting at third base yet again. This would be his fourth full season with the Marlins, with an emphasis on full because he has been so durable for this team. He was he could have played all 60 games of this shortened season uh, if they didn't elect to give him a rest right there towards the very end. He's, he checks all the boxes that you want for a, an everyday player, for a guy that you should be signing to a contract extension. Hopefully he does have that extension in place before the start of next season his stats over the last couple of years so this is excluding his rookie year the, just 2019 and 2020 a 259 batting average 343 on base 467 slugging a 117 wrc plus that is higher than anybody else in this predicted lineup it's great it's great and especially for someone that is a plus defender at third base explains why he is such an important player to this team All right to third, that might have gotten the bag. Anderson, long throw, got him at
0: first. Wow, what a
1: play. Stop it. Anderson to stick with it, either took a left turn or got the bag, but then a missile throw across the diamond. This is not to say that BA is a perfect player. He isn't, you know, he's never been a huge impact guy on the bases, and his strikeout rate did take a bit of a jump. During the 2020 year, um, some struggles against breaking balls that he's going to have to remedy if he's going to be a complete hitter, if he's going to want to be a more consistent hitter. He wasn't totally consistent during the 2020 season. There were very high highs and uh, some frustrating rough patches, including one right at the start of the postseason that was very inconveniently timed. Uh, That being said, I mean, he's he's a big piece of the solution here. I, I don't see a scenario in which they trade him. And uh, there's no other current challenger in the organization that I I would think is more deserving of playing every single day at third base. I'd like to see him hitting even higher in the lineup, I guess. But um, in this situation, he's yet another right-handed hitter. So far, five players through the lineup. We have Starling Marte, Jazz Chisholm, Jesus Aguilar, Garrett Cooper, and uh, Brian Anderson. And of those, only Jazz is left-handed batter. I think that's another reason why you could see him all the way up in the lineup despite the lack of track record because it is important in this day and age, especially if the three batter rule remains in place, that uh, if later in the game everybody needs to stay in the game for several batters at a time, then you want to be sure to mix in lefties and righties. There is somewhat of a strategic advantage to doing that. So even though I believe that Anderson's performance merits batting a little bit higher in the lineup, This is my prediction that they're going to keep him at the number five spot, which is where he spent most of this past season. In the number six spot for the Marlins, left fielder Corey Dickerson. Uh, My buddy Aram Layden, the host of the great Locked on Marlins podcast, he's trying to find some ways to trade Corey Dickerson during the offseason. He has one more year remaining on his contract with the Marlins after signing in free agency the year before, and it's a backloaded contract, so he's going to be earning north of $9 million this coming year, which is a significant amount of money to spend on someone coming off a very disappointing season. But this is why, again, I think it's important to stretch out the sample size a little bit more because 2020 isn't fully representative of the skills that Dickerson can bring to the table. Over the last two seasons combined, he's played 130 total games, 284 batting average, 328 on base, 496 slugging for a 113 weighted runs created. Plus, uh, a lot of that effectiveness coming when he was briefly with the Phillies in 2019. So that explains why when you adjust the league stats down a little bit, um, he's not quite at the top of the heap when it comes to this. For a lot of this past season, Mattingly batted him right near the top of the lineup, either at the leadoff spot or number two, dropping him down much lower when they were facing left-handers. In my estimation, I think he's still going to be playing a lot in 2021. He's going to be difficult to trade because as much as the Marlins are dealing with some financial insecurity due to the lost revenue in 2020, you could say that for pretty much every single other team as well. They're not going to be eager to acquire Dickerson. There is a scenario in my opinion, that they would be able to trade him, they'd have to eat some of the money, and they wouldn't be able to expect much of anything back in return, essentially a partial salary dump if they were so desperate to do so. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that they're going to be more responsible than that, that they understand, despite all the intriguing outfield prospects at the higher levels of this organization, you're entering a season with pretty significant expectations for the team. And if you want to put that team in the best position to get off to a decent start and to remain in contention for the entire year, then you do that by putting in a guy that has a very long track record and a very good offensive track record. I mean, this is for a whole separate conversation, trying to break down what exactly went wrong for Dickerson. It could be as simple as uh, as non-baseball reasons that really set him back. You don't want to read too much into this tiny, tiny sample size. But it was disappointing, no doubt about it, Uh, just as much defensively as anything. For a guy that recently won a gold glove in left field to be a clear liability out there in 2020, that was a little discouraging. And if that continues, then the Marlins are in a really tough spot. My best guess is that they're going to bet on a bounce back from Dickerson in 2020, in 2021. They're not going to necessarily stick him at the top of the lineup. They're not going to commit to playing him every single day. But he's going to have a big role on this team. And perhaps, if let's see if I'm proven right, batting sixth on opening day next year. In the number seven spot, right behind him, starting in right field, Harold Ramirez. Hitting Harold. Oh, hitting Harold, who um, we didn't get to see much of this past year. He's one of the first players who was testing positive for COVID. As soon as he came back, he had that scary-looking hamstring injury that ended his year prematurely. Thankfully, it was only a hamstring and not something structural, nothing wrong with his ligaments. As far as I know, he, he didn't undergo surgery, but um, a significant injury nonetheless that he should have plenty of time to recover from heading into this, this off offseason. As I mentioned early in the episode, he was the cleanup hitter on opening day in 2020. He was pretty impressive um, in summer camp leading up to the start of last season, and he, of course, had that pretty exciting rookie year. His overall stats, since really these are now his career stats because he just debuted in 2019, 122 games, 274 batting average, 311 on base percentage, 411 slugging. That's a 91 weighted runs created plus, but I will point out much higher in high leverage situations with the game on the line. Above average ability at putting balls in play, but someone that could use a lot more plate discipline as well and more patience at the plate to boost up that OBP. Uh, another guy just like dickerson that has some questions about his defense he was he started uh let's see well last year he was in right field but uh i imagine now assuming that the dh is going to be in the national league moving forward he's a guy that would get a considerable amount of his playing time over there and uh, i think more so than anybody else that we've mentioned he's the one that i most worry about being traded uh bef- between now and opening day the marlins have so many outfield options and they have guys that are more well-rounded players coming up through the pipeline. As, as happy as I feel, as uh, as much love as I have for Harold, only 26 years old, someone that the team was confident about taking it next step before he got injured. Um, yeah, the, the reality is there's a bit of a roster crunch going on with this team and how many outfielders you can squeeze onto the 40-man roster at one time. You want to use those spots very valuably. And I wouldn't be shocked if he's on another team to start next season. Again, my best guess is that they hold on to him just because what we saw from some of these outfield prospects in their taste of the majors last year is they didn't seem completely ready, especially not completely ready to play every day. And that's why with Dickerson and with Harold, they are good placeholders to have in place because you know when they are really on top of their game, they are fearsome hitters. And for a team that last year was very mediocre offensively, and one that especially towards the end of the year, once you took Starling Mortea, the, the equation, they had a serious issue with the length of their lineup, that uh, I, I think the simplest approach would be to hold, on to, to hold on to those guys and trust in their potential and trust in the team that you put together in the first place. I can explain how I feel right now. I feel so good. Moving to the number eight spot in my predicted opening day lineup, we have the most familiar face of them all, shortstop Miguel Rojas. Rojas took a nice step forward in his game in 2019. And then when he was healthy in 2020, he was incredible. He was totally incredible, in my opinion, the best position player that the team had because of everything that he brought offensively, defensively, intangibly, all in the field, off the field. Uh, he was such a huge part of he- helping that team overachieve because of what he did. And despite missing some time, he was the first player that got back from uh, COVID being COVID positive. His stats over the last two seasons, 172 games, a 288 batting average, 344 on base, 403 slugging. That's a 101 WRC plus right around league average. Also with 14 stolen bases added onto that, despite the fact that he's not conventionally that much of a speedster. And you know what he does defensively. He's just been extremely consistently really good defensive player, starred in some of the most iconic plays of this past season, including that Air Rojas throw during that opening series of the season. And it was a great year, and especially if you look at last year in particular, um, it's really... You'd think that he's one of the best overall shortstops in the league. Uh, just to pump the brakes on that a little bit, I stretch out the sample size and point out that, yeah, I don't know how much of that power was legit. The contact skills are legit. Someone that has a a 12% strikeout rate over those last two years combined, and he was drawing more walks this past year, which proved to be an extremely valuable part of it. He did hit near the top of the lineup on occasion, but I agree with what was usually the case putting him in the bottom third of this because uh, yeah, ultimately not enough really hard quality contact at the moment. And because he's not quite the same speed demon that uh, Starling Marte or Jazz Chisholm is, I don't think you could justify giving him more plate appearances than anybody else in the lineup. But he is going to be pretty much the everyday shortstop going forward as long as his performance continues to justify it. This will be his age 32 season coming up. I think realistically, you should brace yourself for the fact that there will be some regression from where he was last year, and uh, I mean, hopefully, it's a, a graceful decline. Uh, I think either way, he's really good value for what the Marlins have him under contract for about five million dollars, and then they have a club option for him in twenty twenty two. That health permitting, I think they're extremely likely to pick up. Uh, he is someone that more so than any other player, you'd love to see the team find a way to keep him forever for the rest of his career in some capacity because he brings so much to the table and at least for the start of the year I think he's pretty much unchallenged as the starting shortstop on the Marlins to review where we are uh, almost all the way through this lineup the opening day starter for 2021 in my estimation is going to be Sandy Alcantara followed by in the lineup center fielder Starling Marte second baseman Jess Chisholm D.H. Jesus Aguilar, first baseman Garrett Cooper, third baseman Brian Anderson, left fielder Corey Dickerson, right fielder hitting Harold Ramirez, shortstop Miguel Rojas, and that brings us to the number nine spot. As you can already figure out in your head, that's going to be our catcher, and this is going to be my one significant outside addition. I wouldn't call him a big addition because he is, in a literal sense, an undersized player. But I think it's clear. It was clear to me frankly, in the middle of the season that the Marlins would need to go outside their organization to get a new catcher for 2021. Uh, Just the production has not been all that good. It hasn't been much better than replacement level. And towards the end of the year, they were leaning so heavily on Chad Wallach. With respect to Chad Wallach, I think he's still in the organization moving forward, but not a guy that you want getting the lion's share of your starting opportunities, no matter what you think he brings in the intangible aspects of the game. My expectation is that batting ninth next year on opening day at catcher will be Christian Vasquez, currently of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Vasquez is quietly one of the best catchers in baseball. I've been doing this thing, combining stats over the last two seasons for all these players we've been going through. And these are the stats for Christian Vasquez. 185 games played, 185 over the last two years. Which is a big total for a catcher. Uh, batting 278, 327 on base percentage, 472 slugging. Even in hitter friendly Fenway Park, that is a 105 weighted runs created plus, better than league average. Uh, 30 home runs since the start of 2019 at the catcher position. He's not JT Real Muto. Um, he's not quite as toolsy as Jorge Alfaro is. But since the start of 2019, according to Fangraphs, he has produced 4.9 wins above replacement. That is more than Rojas, that is more than B.A., that is more than Starling. He's been more valuable than any of them, at least in that one metric. Uh, I need to continue to be consistent with my, my hitting and my catching. I don't know my defense is there always, but uh, my offense needs to try to do my best to help the team win and that doesn't even include his 2018 season where he was a big part of their World Series championship team. I expect the Marlins to acquire a catcher, and he's uh, he's on a, a much better value than some of these free agents out there, whether it's Real Muto, whether it's James McCann. I know a, a lot of people have mentioned James McCann because he's been hitting even better than Vasquez has over the last couple of years, but Vasquez is just such a well-rounded player, and he's shown that with uh, a team that obviously had a huge drop off in twenty twenty, the Marlins were much better than the Red Sox. He was he was pinned with one of the worst pitching staffs in all of baseball. I th- I think frankly the worst pitching staff in all of baseball. So that must have been a rough experience for him. And the Red Sox they're not quite as bad as their twenty twenty record would indicate, but they are in a rebuild and they are looking to shed some money. The Marlins, I don't think, are going to make that huge splashy trade to get a J.D. Martinez or a Xander Bogarts or uh, anybody of that money at this moment, but I think they would be willing to roll the dice on Christian Vasquez because, frankly, it's not that much of a, a, a dice to roll. I mean, he's been he's been really good for the past couple of years, a pretty significant upgrade over who they had, throws out uh, would-be base dealers at an extremely high rate, and he works well with pitchers. I mean, that's the one, that's really the one quality that the Marlins cited in Chad Wall because they liked uh, the chemistry he had with pitchers and his, his feel for which pitch to call at which moment. And Vasquez has worked with some of the best in the world. He's worked with Chris Sale. He's worked with David Price. He's worked with, not this past year, but if you like look back to very recent history, the Red Sox have had some key pitchers who have performed very well when paired with Vasquez. The reason why he's attainable to the Marlins is his contract is a pretty desirable one. Two more years to go, well, really one more guaranteed year at about $6.5 million, and then a club option for 2022 in the low $7 million range. That's an extremely good value if you think that player can be your primary catcher, and he's been across the board he's been easily a top 10 catcher in baseball and he has a very strong case for being a top five catcher in baseball right now he's someone that uh, you know eventually he's gonna have some sort of dip but he's only 30 years old at the moment he just turned 30 in august and he's it's just a pretty clear upgrade for this team over who they had. And the Marlins are in a position where they have all these surplus players that are either on their 40-man roster or about to receive spots. And for the Red Sox team that is in a rebuild, uh, they're going to be looking for, I would guess, multiple prospects in this trade, but at least one, you know, top 30 organizational type. The Marlins have a surplus in that area. It's not much of a sweat for them to send I'm not going to name particular guys at this moment, and we'll work that out in another piece of content, either another pod episode or another article. But the Marlins have the kind of players that are pretty much major league ready, but not super duper high upside that they're a bit expendable at this stage. For a team that had a winning record last year, um, two games over 500. and I don't know what the internal expectations are for the Marlins at this moment, but externally, I imagine a lot of you guys will be expecting the team to take another step forward or at least, at least maintain the level of performance that they had heading into 2021. You want them to be a competitive team, a team that if the playoffs remain expanded, that will challenge for that kind of spot. And that means they need to make some clear upgrades. I can't just count on uh, internal improvement, which I've already stated I feel really good about. I feel really good about Jazz Chisholm taking that next step about uh, Corey Dickerson bouncing back, about Harold being really effective if, if he's healthy. And that's not to mention all these other prospects that would get opportunities as the 2021 season goes on. Uh, Jesus Sanchez, I think, could supplant Harold as the right fielder as the season goes on. Lewin Diaz. Leywin Diaz is one of the best hitters I've seen at the minor league level. And he, there was so much hype for him heading into his debut last year, the results were not there at all. But from for what he is as an overall prospect, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he takes over as the everyday first baseman for the Marlins at some point during the 2021 season. There's good reason to believe that this team has enough talent internally to make that big jump offensively because that's what held them back ultimately last year. That's what held them back from being a truly great team is that they just did not hit for a lot of power and they did not consistently show enough patience at the plate. They have the players in this organization that conceivably could do that, with the exception of the catching position. catcher is one of the thinnest positions in the organization at all levels, especially at the major league level and at AAA at the moment. And that's why I think they're going to find a way to upgrade, and Christian Vasquez is my pick for them to acquire and to be in the starting lineup come the 2021 Season. So, a full review for you to get your hands on. And I'm going to be laying this out on Twitter and, of course, on fishtraps.com. My prediction for 2021 opening day lineup Sandy Alcantara on the mound in a batting order of Starling Marte, Jazz Chisholm, Jesus Aguilar, Garrett Cooper, Brian Anderson, Corey Dickerson, Harold Ramirez, Miguel Rojas, and Christian Vazquez. So I'd love to get your predictions as well. I can almost guarantee that we're all going to be off in one way or another because of how unpredictable this game is, how unpredictable this front office is, and of course, with the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic, we don't know exactly how that's going to change the whole landscape of baseball business during this offseason. This is such a fun offseason for the team after what was unequivocally a successful 2020 And there are an infinite number of avenues that they can go to try to improve for next year. So I hope to see them do more. Uh, I'll leave you on this, that I want to see the team do even more, spend even more than I'm laying out right here. They're going to have that new local TV deal kicking in. It was already reported the new national extension on their television deal for all major league teams to benefit from, from Turner Sports. That's going to infuse some more cash in the coming years. Hope uh, they could sell naming rights to Marlins Park. As I'm recording this, the Marlins are also trying to sell tickets to attend games in 2021. Based on the schedule that has already been released, it's in everybody's you know best judgment to determine whether or not you're comfortable doing that. And it's still yet to be fully determined what kind of capacity that the park will have for those games until until we get this this pandemic fully behind us. It is not behind us yet. Please wear your masks, people, especially when you're in the ballpark. Uh, but that being said, um, people taking them up on that offer, there'll be even more revenue that you'd like to see them put back into the team. So I'd be pleasantly surprised if they make a bolder move than this. But for the time being, my expectations is that more or less, a lot of this lineup will look the same as it did in 2020. And they're just going to bank on some improvements Um, from year to year and if there is any improvement man this the bandwagon is gonna keep filling up even more and more it's an exciting time to be covering the marlins i thank you guys again for tuning in go fish